This is Art House. This is Tiger. Today we are with the real estate god, Cali Crates. And, What's up? You know, we're here today to probably not talk much about real estate, actually, but we're going to open up with something very important, something very near and dear to my heart, something that a lot of the guys struggle with on a daily basis. And that's the maximum of that you need to stop being a loser, right? You know, stop being a loser. So, Cali Crates, what? What does that mean to you? What does that mean exactly? I don't know. I mean, it's just really, <laughs> it's, it's, <I> don't know. <laughs> it's just kind of like, I don't know. It's just, you look at people on the street, you just get tired of what they're doing. Just like, just stop being a loser. Like uh, it's, it seems so easy when you, when you think about it, just people just are unable to do it. Uh, it's, it's kind of odd, but. I think it's a comprehensive it's, term, honestly. It's just a comprehensive, intuitive term. You just know when you're looking at someone, you're like, that's a loser. Oh, and I mean, the person knows it too. Like, you know if you're a loser or not. It's like, it's blatantly obvious. Just embarrassing. So, I, yeah, I don't really understand how, how people go through life like that. But it's just, I think one day I was just like, wow, like, there are just so many losers. Like, this needs to stop. Were you, were you born a loser? Or were you always, were you always chill? And then you just, like ascended it's i'm a i don't know if you see my fee but i'm a pretty big fan of genetic determinism um it's it's pretty obvious if you're genetically gifted or not yeah and the only people who make arguments that it doesn't matter are people who aren't genetically gifted mm -hmm. um it's very rare you see someone go from being a loser to being cool mm. it's very very rare you almost never see it yeah i mean part of it's just the drive you know like you can make a lot of change but Part of it, if you just don't have the drive, if you have no, if you don't even know where to start and you don't care where to start, then you're just doomed immediately. Yeah. I mean, your personality is pretty much completely inherited too. Um, so it's, you can, you could do a little bit, but you can't do much. So you don't think that, so you're very, you're genetic heavy in terms of like how you, how you think uh, humans develop? I think you're born with a range. So say the average person is born and their range is at like a scale out of a hundred, say it's 20 to 50. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they can, they can crush and get to 50, but they're never gonna be at a hundred. Right. Whereas someone else like who's say someone with like 140 IQ, attractive, every, everything, they could be from 20 to a hundred. They could still end up being a 20 because mm -hmm. they could just fuck up their entire life, but they have the potential to get to a hundred. Right. Most people don't have that at all. Right. So it's, it's, it's really a range. It's not like, no, you can't do it overall. You could definitely get better. So I'm not saying you can't get better, but you're never going to be elite if you were born not elite. Do you ever walk around and just think like, what if everybody tried? <laughs> like, how 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 much better would everything be? Just just looking wise, aesthetics. Like, what if just everybody tried, tried their best? Maybe they only got to fifty, right? But what if fifty was like the bottom? I mean, it would. I think that's what it was like before. I would say recent times. Mm -hmm. um, even if you look at just pictures back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, it just, it's so, it's so clear how much people cared and just how much, just everything, you know, is it, it just, it's just so much more aesthetically pleasing. Uh, and it did, it, there was a ton more drive now then than there is now. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that, I mean, the whole, the whole obesity thing, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Cause I grew up, I grew up in the time of, of obesity, right? Like that's just, that's just what my life was. And so I've never, I've never experienced a time where there wasn't just an absurd amount of fat people walking around. I kind of got normalized to it. You know, I'm just like, that's, that's what it is. And 
if a lot of people just aren't thinking like that, like they aren't thinking that, oh, I'm getting normalized to this. They're just thinking this is how it is. You know, they're not thinking that this was all conditioned and all made like this. That's scary because then there can be like, well, you can't change it. Can't change them. It's just how it is. Uh, being fat's the worst. It's, it's so disgusting. I don't know how there should be a executive order just against <laughs> that in general. Should just yeah, be government mandated prison sentence. I, I legit like, here's the thing. There's so many, it, it, it's an issue that can, you know, you can do a couple key things, you know, and just, just fix it really quickly. But you know, there's the big food, big food in the way, big food and the, uh, the incessant drive to consume that are in the way of that. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I can't think of a, an excuse for being above 20% body fat. Just like, it's so easy. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I understand not everyone needs to be 8% body fat, absolutely ripped and no, like no one ever will be. I feel like having low body fat might not be like great in the long run. Like if you're like 6% all year round, that might not be optimal. I feel like our, no, I feel like our ancestors had a bit, bit, of, bit of beef on them. It's not, that's not natural. And, and usually those people who do that are usually cycling. They're never just at 6% all year round. Yeah. Uh, even if you have like, I had a ton of friends who were, who played sports and they were really low. And as soon as they had finished playing sports, I mean, they don't get fat by any means, but they're no longer at 6%. Oh yeah. They, they kind of get puffy. Like I, was yeah, I mean, I was friends that did football and they just like, it, it, like they still trained in the gym like three days a week, just doing like weights, but they just kind of got puffy. Yeah, it's not even puffy. Like even like I, I was never skin tight. Like I always were. I was probably always between, say like eight and twelve. I would never go anywhere below eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some people just get some people just get down there. But as soon as they stop playing sports or stop be burning five thousand calories a day, they're mm-hmm. not fat, but they're at ten to twelve percent instead of six to eight percent. Yeah, yeah, man. Do you um? Did you play sports when you were in high school and college and whatnot? Uh, I played in high school as three sport athlete, um, captain of two teams, and then had a career ending injury. So I just never played again. Career ending injury. Damn, that sounds familiar. <laughs> it's a fun time. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, do you, no, we could just bring it off on a tangent on that because I think that's interesting. Do you think that, do you think that sports aid a kid's, you know, direction in a positive way? like growing up and doing those with a bunch of other guys. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't trust anyone who didn't play sports growing up. That's one of the biggest red flags. Anyone who didn't play sports is like immediately writing them off. Um, and you could tell, I mean, I had, I think it was my junior high school is when I had my knee surgeries, yeah. um, which like just completely blown out. And after that, I mean, it's, it's a huge difference. Like it was just a huge transition from going to, I mean, I don't know what I played maybe, two hours plus of sports every day to not being able to do that. Like your mentality changes a lot. Yeah. And you have to funnel your competitiveness in different ways because like you can't be competitive with a fucking knee brace on, right? Like you're just a clown. Yeah. Like, no one can yeah. take you seriously. Well, that's, that's what I realized. Like when I was out of high school about like, yeah, say I graduated at 17. You know, when I was like, not, like early, when I just turned 19, I realized like, I had like a deep revelation one night. Like, like I did not, I didn't do any sports because I was a pussy. Like that was my biggest thing. Like I just didn't want to do it because I was lazy and I was a pussy. So I got my ass in uh well, I mean, I, I was lifting for like a year and a half before then, but I was like, I need to do something that's like hard and that 
you know, is group oriented and whatnot. So I just got into kickboxing. I've been doing that for the past nine months. That's been great. And I strongly suggest anybody that just needs like, needs to get that sport feeling that they had in, you know, high school, but don't, no longer has that camaraderie because the work life and whatnot, go to a martial arts studio. It is the, one of the best decisions you'll ever make. Are you, are you fighting against people in the kickboxing? How does that work? Um, right now, well, it's been shut down for a month, so we can't do anything right now. Um, we were sparring occasionally, but it, a lot of it was like, you know, making sure you, making sure before you go out and, and try to strike somebody that you know you, you don't hurt yourself and you're like able to hit a bag and not fall down, break something or whatever, and like you're able to you know take a take a punch in a controlled manner before you go go stir crazy with one with a with another guy. And I was between that or was between that like striking or jujitsu. And I decided to go with striking because I wanted to get punched in the face. And you can't really do that with jujitsu. Jujitsu is mostly wrestling, right? Yeah, that's like that's like submission, submission slow slower paced submission wrestling, and then wrestling is more just like rushing at each other and fucking you know, getting the guy on the ground first. And uh one of the things that one of the things that this uh that kickboxing taught me is like getting punched in the face. <laughs> that that is the best lesson that you can learn, I think, as a guy. When you're young, just getting hit really hard, you're just like, you know, it, it, it just changes your your mentality on things big time. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I've thinking back, I mean I've never done martial arts, but I don't mm -hmm. think I've ever been in a I have been in like scraps, but I don't know if I've ever been directly rocked in the face. Yeah. You're probably getting like crushed, you know. Did you like football? I didn't play football now. Okay. Well, I, I played at one point, but it wasn't one of my major sports. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think just like getting getting under physical stress, duress for a period of time, that's like you you, you have to do that as a guy. Oh yeah. I mean it's it's easily there's a massive difference between when you're playing sports when you're not you can just feel it mentally mm -hmm. yeah using your like especially if you're like if you do if you work all day like either sitting or something like that like you need to do something that's really explosive and really like really puts your body into deep stress yeah you, um, no, i agree do you like in san francisco like what are the what's like your work schedule like in the in that in that city do you have time for like things outside or are you mostly just focus on your job? Uh, it depends. I mean, New York's way worse. So I was, I was working in New York before this. It's way worse. Um, it's not even close. Like you probably pick up two or three hours in your day just from working less in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. uh, just because just the culture and everything. Yeah. But it's also you get in, I mean, you're three hours behind New York, which is still the center of business pretty much anywhere. Mm-hmm. So you get in and you just have, you have a shit ton of stuff, right? So you get slammed, like you get emails like 6 a.m. You're getting slammed. And then once it gets up to like, I don't know, five or six, it really starts petering out because everyone in New York is leaving, going home. Mm -hmm. So that's, it's, it ends up being a little better, but it's, it's shifted up. So you, instead of waking up at New York, you wake up, at, get in there at nine o'clock, here you get in at like seven. That's an interesting thought. I never, like, because you're in real estate, right? Yep. Yeah. So... I mean, time zones must be really important in terms of like, you know, call, ma making sure calls are on time, deals, all that stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, we're a little lucky that it's not anything with public markets because then it actually matters. Yeah. In real real estate, it, it matters, but at the end of the day, you're never surprised by a transaction like you mm-hmm. plan months ahead. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very rare. You're like, like, oh fuck! Like I need to wake up at this time for that. Like that doesn't happen as much. Now, do you do like what? What do you specialize when it comes to the real estate? Um, definitely office. Uh, we do a lot of office, a lot of hotels, um, some multifamily retails included in a lot of our office buildings. Um, pretty much no industrial. Those. Uh, yeah. How have you seen office get hit with? Uh with the current office and hotels, right? Those, those, those two must be getting rocked right now. So, I mean, hotels got fucked, but anyone with a brain could have seen that coming. Yeah. Uh, I've I tweeted a ton uh, on my other account as well about how shitty hotels are as an investment. Yeah. Um, office really, it hasn't been bad yet. Um, there's a ton, it really depends who your tenants are, mm-hmm. but, and how much security deposit you have, your letters of credit, all, all of that. And we happen to have a, a, a lot. Mm-hmm. of security i mean really where, where you get screwed is a lot with the retail in the office buildings mm-hmm. because those are the two hardest hit areas so far it's hotels and retail mm-hmm. um so it, if this goes on for another two months like yeah everything's gonna be in a lot of trouble but as of right now your well-located office buildings they're not in that much trouble looking to the future with this do you see do you see um commercial retail getting hit in after this coronavirus thing with more people more people do you see more people more ceos going like hey we could just like save the save the rental space you know save the rental cost of having this office and just have everyone work from home we don't need this we could just go online with this do you see that happening somewhat i mean it's already been happening for years at this point that Mm -hmm. transition so i don't know if this is necessarily going to be the the one catalyst that changes it yeah um i will say retail rents have just gotten hammered in the past, let's say five years. So yeah. there are a lot of spa- spaces. We'll underwrite a deal and the, we underwrite the retail rent is like zero almost. Mm-hmm. So if the, even if it leases up, it's like, it's like gravy. Um, I think hotels will, will be changed permanently. They've always been just a piece of shit asset class, but I think people are actually going to require a higher rate of return at this point for just the higher cap rate um, yeah. in real estate terms, just because it's, I mean, it's, it's insane. What specifically makes hotels really shitty? Uh, there's it's that's a it's a really long uh list well, essentially it's like you're running like, like one essentially thing. i mean just just think about it on a very very basic level right say an office building right you're leasing it out for five years or 10 years right yeah. a lease a lease term a multifamily building you're leasing out for a year or maybe two years mm-hmm. right everyone usually signs a year lease hotels every single night is a new fucking lease right like people don't think about it on that scale, but you're run, essentially running a business inside a building. The the real estate's really secondary. Yeah. Um, there's food and beverage outlets that are food and beverage is one of the worst businesses you could be in beside from hotels. So you couple that with the hotel, it's even worse. Mm-hmm. Um, you also it, the, the huge issue is is who's running it. So in an office building or multifamily building, um, the manager on site really doesn't matter at all. Like you can just have a retard running it, and just does, it really doesn't matter. Like you, they, they don't do anything, right? They don't drive anything. They're like, the tenant will call them and be like, can you fix the leak? And yeah. they'll fix the leak. Whereas with, with the hotel, you have everything, right? You have, they're managing the housekeeping staff, they're managing the front desk people, they're managing the sales. You have to figure out what price to charge for each room for every night. That changes when you switch up the revenue forecasting. There's everything. 
It's a massive business. There'll be hundreds of employees they're managing. Whereas office building multi, one employee, right? Yeah. You can have, maybe if it's a massive building, you have a couple employees there, but they're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, see, you have things like this, right? Because the lease term is so short, when, when a negative event happens, um, you have no time to react, right? Everyone can leave the next day. Mm-hmm. And you're fucked. Your occupancy is zero. For our office buildings, no one can leave. I mean, technically, they can go bankrupt and leave, but we have security deposits that we can take. Yeah. And yeah, we'll still get hit, but we're, say we have six-month security deposit, we have six-month leeway. And mm-hmm. you could lease it back up in six months, whereas a hotel, you're just fucked. Yeah. Right? I mean, in, the, in New York right now, there's, it's changed a bit because people are leasing up to emergency workers and all that. Yeah. But, I mean, there's, there's a point you're down to like, you're like leasing up three rooms, right? Like, there's, who, who, there's no one there, right? No one's going no to come and you have no revenue. We know um, we're, we're family friends with a guy that he runs a ho- he runs the, the big hotel like right next to Disneyland. And he, so he gets a, he's like one of the best Hiltons in the country in terms of just daily traffic. And they're, they're doing a plan right now where they're not going to reopen back at, at 100%. Like they're going to start at 10 and they're going to do this for 18 months. Like 10%, okay, 10% occupancy, like we'll only light 10% of the hotel, only do this. And they're going to slowly build back up to, you know, 100%, hopefully in 18 to 24 months. I'm surprised just, he's doing that because the margins are so bad that at like a 10% occupancy, it's not profitable to run. So it's, it's like almost better to be closed. Yeah, I mean, I don't know all the details, but just the the fact that they even have to consider that instead of just reopening straight up means like they're going to be at a deficit for a long time. Like that's going to be awful. Oh yeah, no, every single hotel in the country is going to need a capital call. Yeah, or to be sold, or a ton. Of, I mean, in New York City, for example, before coronavirus hit, mm. I think it was forty percent of hotels had negative NOI or EBITDA. Mm. Even it's probably more relevant to you guys, but NOI is the real estate term. Um, yeah, there was, it was 40% were already negative and that's before debt service, right? So like, who knows with like maybe 20, 30% were positive after debt service. I mean, it's, it's a horrible asset class. <laughs> horrible asset class. I, so I'd assume you'd say don't get into hotel investing right off the I could not recommend enough not getting into hotels. Okay. So if you're a new guy, right? And you're like, you know, a little, little bright-eyed kid comes up to you on the street and says, Kelly Crates, what do I do if I want to get into real estate? What do you tell them? So it's, it's a difficult question because it all depends on your risk profile. I get this question maybe five DMs a day on my real estate God account. And there's no good answer because if, if you want to sit on a like, low cash flow and have no, um, have no very low risk, you can do that. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean like if you're 20 years old, you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. I think you should be shooting for 20% plus returns. If you're this young, I mean, if you're older and you have $10 million in the bank, sure, you can get 5% returns. No one really cares. Uh, but it, it really depends on your risk profile. Overall, I would say you probably want to be in multifamily initially and then branch out from there just because it's, it's the easiest. That's what I've heard too, is that like you buy a fourplex, you live in one of the condo, you live in one of the rooms, and then you just get cash, get cash, and then you get another loan, and then you just repeat the same process. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly doable. That's, I think what people do with that is FHA loans, which I've, I've never used, and it's really not a, like it's very below institutional level. Mm-hmm. But you can, I think you can go put as low as 3.5% down, which is pretty insane. Yeah. 
Yeah, so you don't really, you don't really need much starting capital for that. I mean, yeah, you need like like twenty k gets you. In most areas of the country, you could probably get a four, good fourplex, right, three and a half percent down. For twenty k, just twenty k. I mean, you think? Yeah, I mean, well, it, it it depends. Obviously, in a major city, you're nowhere close. But most areas of the country, you could probably, yeah, maybe a few thirty k unit, you could probably get it. See, that, we don't really invest in those areas, but yeah, it's definitely possible. That's the thing. Real, where where I'm at, real estate's so expensive that like when I hear people being like, "How to wholesale? Like, find the home for twenty thousand bucks." I'm like, "There ain't no home for twenty thousand bucks where I'm at. What do I do?" <laughs> yeah, you have to. Like, do I yeah. move? Do I have to just go yeah. to like, buttfuck Alabama or something and find like these ten k shacks? I mean, yeah, that's. That's how most of these guys are doing it. The really the easiest way to do it is get outside of commuting range of a major city, yeah. and then once you're there, you'll start finding deals that other people aren't looking at. So, like in the in the suburbs and stuff. I would say probably once you get three hours plus outside mm-hmm. of a major city, you're in good shape, right? And that's and the thing the thing that's good about that is you can still drive to locations mm-hmm. yourself. I mean, it sucks, but you can still get there. Yeah. Um, which you, you kind of need, at least initially. You don't really want to be investing across the country if you have no idea what the fuck you're doing. Yeah, right. Do you see, um, when it comes to, like, college towns, because I hear a lot of people say, like, oh, like, you, can buy this, you can buy a home near a college town and, you know, rent it out for 800 bucks a month to four, four kids. Like, have you ever done something like that? Um, similar. I haven't rented it out to college kids yet, but I could. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a ton of issues with that. A, a lot of it, it depends on when you buy the asset and how you plan for it because their lease-up cycles are on certain times of the year. So mm-hmm. a lot of times if you buy at a certain time of the year, it could be six months before the next lease-up cycle and you can't really keep it vacant for six months unless you plan for that. Yeah. So there, there are actually a lot of things that go into it. And obviously you have to up the CapEx budget and a ton of things. But I... I'm thinking about doing it, but I, I also kind of would prefer to stay away from college goods anyway. Yeah. I feel like college, that's like a sketchy market just because the market itself. <laughs> well, the, my, my issue is like, I don't really like, I'm never going to rain on a college kids parade. Like I don't give a fuck what they do in there, but as a yeah. landlord, I do have to give a fuck. So it's like, it just, it's just an annoying situation. Like I don't really care if they're throwing a banger, but as a landlord, I do have to care about that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is the problem. You have to balance both of that. So if, say, say, okay, how about this? This is a fun question. Say somebody gets the $1,200 Trump bucks, right? And they're not going to go buy booze and food. They want to go and, you know, they want to put it towards themselves. Maybe, maybe not, maybe not even real estate, right? They just want to put it towards themselves. How would you spend that money? If you had 12, you know, 1200 bucks and you were at zero, but you had immense drive and you wanted to do you know, everything. This, this is one of the situations where it's just not enough money to do anything. You just, seriously, you just have to save it. It's, it's like that. I think there's this, this Stanford, uh, uh, maybe experiment or something yeah. where they all had, they were all given like 500 bucks and they're like, all right, see what you can turn this into in like a week. Mm-hmm. And the win, the winning, uh, team just didn't disregarded the $500, didn't buy anything with it. And then just rented out their time as like consultants. <laughs> like it's like 1200 bucks isn't enough to do anything you need to i don't know maybe buy a book and like a nice bottle of wine and uh think about what you want to do with your future i would say 
<laughs> see, see, the funny thing is, is that I, there was, it was like a, it was like Gary Vee had asked a question. If you had no money, like how would you be, become a millionaire a year? And he was like, I'd go find rocks and I'd paint them and I'd sell them to suburban moms. And it's like, dude. <laughs> who, who said this? Gary Vee or something. This guy, that guy's such a clown. Yeah. Uh, dude, like, it, you know, that, that reminds me actually, this is the thing I want to, I want to cap off on before we before we head out. Grant Cardone is getting wrecked, apparently. Do you have any insight? Like, you know, because a lot of us just see like, oh, he's he's has to lay off people. Like, do you have any insight from like a business perspective or like, he he does real estate, right? Yeah. So like, yeah, from a real estate perspective, for, like, what's what's going on with him? First things first. Like, I fucking hate the guy. Like, I think he's such a scumbag. Um, yeah. But in this scenario, he's everyone's actually overreacting. I think he's really over leveraged. He's taking advantage of non-accredited investors. I think the SEC is going to be up his ass. I don't think he knows what the fuck he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's kind of a different story. He also rips people off on the promotes, which is how you get paid in real estate private equity. So he rips everyone off on the promotes, rips them off of management fees. That's how he makes all his money. He doesn't. He's not actually like a good investor. He's just taking your money from your pocket into his pocket. I remember um, that uh, that there's that Jordan Belfort interview. I didn't watch the whole thing, but I just caught like a couple couple snippets and Jordan Belfort's like sales track blah 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 and then Grant Cardone's like yeah I do that too <laughs> just like he's like so scared to actually like talk about anything in depth it was it was oh, really- he, no he has he has no idea what he's talking about he's an idiot but uh uh in this in this scenario I think the the blowback was one that he wasn't paying investors his guaranteed uh dividend which mm. no one's paying investors right now. That's that's a smart thing to do is not pay them and keep reserves just in case anything happens. Mm-hmm. So like that's uh, people arguing against that are retarded. Like that makes no sense. Yeah. Um, it'd be it'd be just irresponsible to pay out dividends right now. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing was that he fired people. Uh, I don't know his financials. I'm assuming that uh, actually it, it's kind of difficult to even. He said it, the multifamily portfolio was like ninety percent of people paid rent. And I'm sure he pays almost his entire staff off management fees, which should still be coming in. So I, I really don't know why he fired people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of odd. So that I, I don't, don't really know SEC stuff that is going to come to light. You think? I, like I don't know for sure. I, I think anytime you get around non-accredited investors, the SEC hates it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just one of those areas. It's not worth it to mess around. There's a reason why no one messes around it unless you're really on the up and up and really know what the fuck you're doing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I also think he's his promotes and everything, and who knows what he's like his sales tactics and all that. Uh, I'm not saying there's definitely something illegal. I'm just saying the fact that he's deployed this much capital and has no idea what the fuck he's talking about is a horrible sign. It just doesn't smell right. Yeah, and the whole Scientology thing too. That doesn't smell right either. <laughs> that's probably the least of his worries. <laughs> this is some pretty big worries. If that's the least. Tyler Kreitz, it was great to have you on. You have one thing you'd like to say to the people, the good people that have watched this and will watch this in the coming weeks, months, years, decades, eons, and millennia? Yeah, get off Twitter, go outside, go have some fun. It's pretty good. Yeah, sounds good. All right, guys, this was Art House with Cali Crates. Thanks for the insight on real estate and not being a loser. And we're going to be hopping off here right about now. Talk to you guys later.